0: Well, good morning, Redeemer. My name is Brian, and this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 90 as we continue our summer series in the Psalms. And we're going to be considering this morning our quest for satisfaction. As you find your place in your Bible or on your device, I'd encourage you to keep it open this morning. We'll be coming back to Psalm 90 again and again. I want to begin this morning with a question. And it's a question that I think we've all asked ourselves, even if subconsciously. And the question is this. What satisfies your heart? What satisfies your heart? Where do you look for satisfaction? I think that question can often lead us to a deep sense of emptiness In the quiet places of our lives, it can haunt us if we let it. And so often we just push by that. We go to the next thing on the to-do list. We chase the next child. right? We go to the self-medication of choice to begin the numbing process. Anything to avoid the emptiness. Our hearts were built to search for meaning right? And so we're constantly on this quest to find something big enough and beautiful enough and powerful enough and safe enough where we can rest. And I think so often in that quest, we feel like a sea lion wandering in the desert. We were built for the vast expanse of the ocean, but on the very flippers that were designed to propel us through the water, we now find ourselves waddling through the sand. Waddling through a dry and dreary existence, trying to keep the sand out of our eyes. We're a long way from home. And we're searching for something that will satisfy our hearts. That search for satisfaction has gone on for years. Uh, In 1965, Mick Jagger sang, I can't get no satisfaction. In 1987, U2 uh, said, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. In 2009, Verita sang, is there anything left in this world that will satisfy me tonight? In 2015, the musical Hamilton, at the toast at the wedding, the toast was, may you always be satisfied. And of course, the Mars Candy Foundation, uh, uh, Mars Candy Company made, uh, made a big deal of this quest for satisfaction with their ad campaign for Snickers, right? Do you remember this? Packed with peanuts, what? Snickers really satisfies. Does it really? Our quest for satisfaction. In 2014, tim keller came to speak at rts jackson to deliver the preaching lectures and in those lectures he referenced J.R.R. tolkien's uh, essay on fairy stories and in that essay tolkien explores the power and appeal of science fiction of fantasy stories uh, of uh, of fairy stories right and he says that the masses are going to the movies and they're reading stories that talk about these fantastic supernatural sorts of things. It's a bazillion dollar industry. And he argues that the reason why we can't get enough of them is that they speak to the deepest desires of our hearts. You see, we're fascinated with stories where people step out of time, escape death, have love, without parting, communicate with non-human beings, and where good finally triumphs over evil. Any story that depicts those five things, we just can't get enough of it. We desperately want it. Even though we know it's fiction, we need it to keep going. You see, at some level, all human beings know that's how life was meant to be. That's how life once was. That's what we were made for. We weren't made to die. We weren't made to see evil triumphing. And we're fascinated with these stories because they provide a plausible answer to our quest for satisfaction. This morning, Psalm 90 talks about time and eternity. It talks about love and death and it talks about our quest for satisfaction. And we're going to look at Psalm 90 under three headings this morning. In verses 1 and 2, we're going to see that God is timeless. And in verses 3 through 11, we're going to see that man is transient. And in verses 12 through 17, we're going to see that satisfaction can be found. God is timeless. Man is transient, and satisfaction can be found. And here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. Satisfaction can, be, can only be found in the steadfast love of the timeless one who stepped into time. Let me say that again. Satisfaction can only be found in the steadfast love of the timeless one who steps in to time. Let's focus our attention then on Psalm 90, beginning at verse 1. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever You had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting You are God. For we are brought to an end by Your anger. By Your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before You, our secret sins in the light of Your presence. For all our days pass away under Your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty, yet their span is but toil and trouble." that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as You have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let Your work be shown to Your servants and Your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? O eternal God, who has given us an eternal covenant, would You help us this morning to make sense of the fact that we are bound by time? And would You answer our quest for satisfaction? I pray that as we open the Psalm 90 this morning, you would convince us of our sin and misery, that you would enlighten our mind in knowledge of Christ, and that you would renew our wills by the power of your gospel, through the work of your Holy Spirit, and the mediation of your Son. I ask that you would forgive the one who teaches his sins, for they are many. May we see Jesus and him only. Amen. So first of all, this morning, let's consider in verses 1 and 2 that God is timeless. God is timeless. So, Psalm 89 that we looked at last week is the end of book three. And in verses 38 to 51, it addresses the apparent failure of the Davidic covenant. And it culminates in two questions. Look back at Psalm 89, verse 49. The psalmist says, Lord, where is Your steadfast love of old, which by Your faithfulness You swore to David? And if you go back further, the psalmist asks, how long, O Lord, will You hide Yourself forever? How long will Your wrath burn like fire? And Psalm 90 is put at the beginning of Book 4 in order to answer those questions. You see, the Psalter is largely attributed to David. Seventy-three of 150 psalms are attributed directly to David. And the five, books of, uh, the five books of the Psalter are called the five books of David. But did you notice who this psalm is by? The redactor here deliberately chooses the only psalm of Moses in the entire Psalter which therefore means it's also the oldest psalm in the entire psalter. And he does that in order to take you back to a time before David. You see, Moses lived 400 years before David. And the redactor is saying, you see Psalm 89, it seems like the Davidic covenant has failed. Let's go back to a time before the Davidic covenant. And do you know what we find in the time of Moses? That God is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's unchanging. Verse 1, He's been our dwelling place in all generations. Verse 2, He's God from everlasting to everlasting. He's God before time. He's God before creation. And the redactor is telling you that God is still our dwelling place. He was our dwelling place before the Davidic Covenant. And He will be our dwelling place after the Davidic Covenant. He is our dwelling place in all generations. In 1708, Isaac Watts wrote the hymn, O God, Our Help in Ages Past. And he wrote it meditating on Psalm 90. O God, Our Help in Ages Past our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. God is our eternal home. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is God? The answer is God is a spirit, infinite, unchangeable, and eternal in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Moses is telling you this morning that God is eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting. That He has no beginning, middle, or end. He's eternal. Which means He's outside of time. He's before time. He will be after time. He is timeless. God created time. For God, there is no past or future. Only an eternal present. Theologians call this, uh, theologians talk about this as in for God, there is no succession of moments. There's no succession of moments. He comprehends all things at once. On Tuesday night, I watched game six of the NBA finals, uh, along with 9.9 million other people on TV. And we all saw the game in the same way. We all saw it in a succession of moments. We saw the first quarter, and then the second quarter, and then the third quarter, and then the fourth quarter. And then we saw the Bucks clinch the victory. 105-98, uh, to 98. Giannis puts up a monumental game, and they win for the first time in 50 years, the Bucks do. But God saw that game differently. You see, He didn't see it in a succession of moments. He saw all the quarters at once. He saw every play at the same time that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, right? In 2014, the movie Interstellar tried to unpack and explain this. And so at the end of the movie, Cooper goes into a black hole and enters the fourth dimension. And the fourth dimension is portrayed as a physical space where he's moving between All of the different moments in time. He can come over here and see this moment in time, or over here and move this moment in time. In other words, he's not seeing time in a succession of moments. He has access to all the moments of time in one place. That's a limited analogy. It fails at points, right? But you get the idea. God is timeless, He has an eternal present. He has access to all moments at the same time. And being timeless, being eternal, means that God is also self-existent. An attribute that, God, that theologians call independence or aseity from the Latin, from oneself. Berkhoff says this, God, listen to this, God is uncaused, and exists by the necessity of his being, and therefore necessarily. He's uncaused. He exists necessarily. It's hard to wrap your mind around that, right? Why? Because man, on the other hand, does not exist necessarily, and has the cause of his existence outside himself. Berghoff goes on, as the self-existent God, he is not only independent in himself, but also causes everything to depend on Him. In other words, God is transcendent. He's the sole cause of the universe. And this is what Moses is telling you when he says that God is from everlasting to everlasting. He's saying that God is timeless. God is self-existent. He's transcendent. He's eternal. And only an eternal God can grant eternal life. So God is timeless. And then in verses 3 through 11, we see that man is transient. Now it's kind of hard to wrap our brains around what it means that God is eternal, right? But we're usually willing to admit this. We're willing to grant this truth, right? We admit to it. Yes, God must be eternal. Whatever that means, He must be eternal. But what we deny over and over again is that we are transient. And so what Moses does here in Psalm 90 is he backs up the dump truck and unloads language and images and metaphors to drive home the reality of our transience. Look at verse 4. Let's look at the language of time here, starting at verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. Right? With the language of time here, Moses is saying that a thousand years are like a day, they're like 24 hours, or a watch in the night, that's just three hours. But the language of time permeates a psalm, verse 5. In the morning, verse 6, in the morning and in the evening. Verse 9 talks about days and years. Verse 10 talks about 70 years or 80 years. And it's like you can hear the clock ticking, you can hear the metronome beating. Time is passing. Man is transient. And look at the images and metaphors of transience. Verse 3. Man is dust. Verse 5, A 1,000 years are swept away like a flood. They're swept away like a dream. Verse 6, man is like grass that sprouts in the morning and fades in the evening. Verse 9, our days and our years pass away. They end like a sigh. Verse 10 Our 70 or 80 years have a span of toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. And if you pay close attention, you can almost see the sand running through the hourglass. Time is running out, man is transient. Mayflies have the shortest lifespan on earth, they're called the 24 hour insect because their lifespan is less than 24 hours. And that's the essence of the comparison here. Our life is so fleeting, we're so transient, that when you compare it to eternity, it's just a whisper. It's just a blink. It's there, and then just like that, it's gone. Why is time so short? Why is life so fleeting? Well, Moses gives you a first clue in the language of verse 3. Look at verse 3. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. Where have you heard that language before of returning to dust? It takes you back to Genesis chapter 3 and the curses of the fall, where God says to Adam, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And that echo of the fall from Genesis 3 reminds us that we weren't meant to die. The reason that time feels so short and life feels so fleeting is because we were made. We were designed to live forever. And the fact that we don't is an effect of the fall. And that's why our transience brings grief. That's why we ignore it. That's why we deny it. That's why we don't stop and think about our own mortality. We hold it at arm's length. We push it away. Why? To escape the grief of the fall. Well, why do we die? Why do we return to dust? Did you notice the word for in the text? It appears three times in the text at the beginning of verse 4, verse 7, and verse 9. And four is a preposition of causality. It introduces reasons and answers. Moses is telling you that God returns us to dust because of our sin, right? Because our sin brings God's just judgment. Because our sin brings God's wrath. Moses says, verse 8, God sees our sin. Even those secret sins, you know, the ones that you think no one Knows about, God sees those too. And our secret sins, all of our sins, evoke God's anger. Did you see that in verse 7 and verses 11? Our sin evokes God's anger and our sin evokes God's wrath. Verse 7, verse 9, and verse 11. And our sin that evokes God's anger and God's wrath brings us to an end. In verse 7 and verse 9 and verse 10. Why is our time so short? Why is life so fleeting? Why do we return to dust? Moses is telling you it's because of our sin and God's wrath. And I think Moses may want you to experience some of his own grief here. Moses ran out of time. Do you remember? Because of his sin, see Numbers 20, Moses wasn't permitted to enter the Promised Land. He died on Mount Nebo in Moab, looking over into the Promised Land. His eyes saw it, but his feet never touched it. He spent all of his life, 40 years wandering in the wilderness on the journey to the Promised Land. And then the sand and the hourglass runs out, right? And you can feel His grief. Life is short because of our sin and God's wrath. So God is timeless and man is transient. And that may sound hopeless. You might feel the grief here, but if you look closely, there's a glimmer of hope. You see, these two truths are the starters, starter kit of a good theology. You are, uh, there is a God, and you are not Him. Thirdly then, verses 12-17, through 17, satisfaction can be found. Having established that God is timeless and man is transient, Moses now articulates seven prayers. Verse 12, teach us. Verse 13, return. Or that could also be translated relent. Verse 14, satisfy us. Verse 15, make us glad. Verse 16, reveal your work. Verse 17, let your favor rest upon us. Verse 17, establish the work of our hands. But those seven prayers really hang on two primary prayers. Verse 12, teach us to number our days. And verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Let's look first of all at verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Moses is asking, how do we find wisdom in our transience? Well, in the Old Testament, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And did you notice what came before verse 12? Look back at verse 11 there. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to what? According to the fear of you. You see, in light of our transience, Moses asks us to consider God's anger and wrath so that it might lead us to the fear of the Lord, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Verse 12, we get a heart of wisdom when God teaches us to number our days. What does it mean to number our days? Is this counting? Is this basic arithmetic? I can do the math. As of today, I have lived 18,367 days. That means that I am 440,831 hours old and I've lived for 26,449,860 minutes. Is that what it means? That's a long time, right? Is that what it means to number our days? Is it counting? I think numbering our days is a theology. It's a certain way of looking at the world. Numbering our days is an acceptance of our transience. It's an acceptance of our mortality. Numbering our days is saying, my time is limited. My days have been appointed. My life will end. You see, we're bound by time, and so our mortality presents us with an opportunity for wisdom, we will die. Period. That's a fact. We will die. So how will we then choose to live? And to paraphrase May's in our reflection quote this morning, there are basically two reactions to mortality. There is folly on the one hand and wisdom on the other. And folly views time as a burden when we have to wait And time is a scarcity when we're busy. Time is a source of anxiety, illusion, and remorse. That's the way folly views time. The young, do you consider yourself young? The young think of themselves as immortal and the old despair because their time is over. And Mays is saying that's all folly. But the heart of wisdom says that time is is a gift. Time is a gift. And our days are appointed. They're appointed by a timeless and transcendent and eternal God. And wisdom takes that gift, those appointed days, and chooses to live them in the fear of the Lord. Wisdom embraces the reality that life is fleeting and death is certain. And so each day is precious. Each day is to be lived to the full. Each day is to be lived to God's glory. And embracing that reality also stirs our hearts to yearn for something constant and lasting and eternal. Something that's permanent. Right? We long for something beyond death and outside of time. And so where do we turn? In that moment, the only place that you can find comfort and solace and peace and rest is to say, our God. You are our dwelling place in all generations from eternity past to eternity present. You are our God. November 22nd of 2020, uh, my dad was admitted to the hospital. He had been battling a virus for 12 days. Been in and out of the hospital. Didn't have a diagnosis until day 12. And on that day, he found that he had COVID. And being admitted to the hospital, I spoke to him that night. I uh, prayed with him. And he was getting the meds that he needed. Um, it seemed like he was on the mend. Mom called the next morning. Dad had died at 4.43 a.m. from cardiac arrest. And Mom was wailing as she told me. And then there was a pause. And she calmly said, Brian, his days were numbered. And somehow, in the midst of that grief, the admission of the sovereignty of God in that moment gave peace. A peace that passes understanding. And I think that's the only place that we find solace in death is the acknowledgement that our days are numbered, that God has appointed each of our days. And so we pray, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Well, We began this morning with our quest for satisfaction. And this heart of wisdom, one that accepts that our days are appointed, our days are numbered, that's a necessary condition for satisfaction. You have to have the heart of wisdom in order to get satisfaction, but it's not enough. If you want satisfaction, you're going to have to keep reading. Look at the prayer In verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. I want to unpack that and let's begin by looking at the language of time in verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning. Have you heard that phrase before? In the morning? That phrase was used back in verses 5 and 6 to show our fleeting mortality. Grass flourishes in the morning, but in the evening it fades and withers. And then that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. All our days was used back in verse 9 when all our days passed away under God's wrath and our years ended like a sigh. Do you see what Moses is doing here in verse 14? He's transforming time. In the morning, which expressed our fleeting mortality, now is the time of sanctification, of satisfaction, and sanctification probably, in God's steadfast love. And all of our days, which were full of wrath, now is when we rejoice and be glad. You see, affliction and frustration and mortality are exchanged for a deep, lasting satisfaction. And wrath and sighing and trouble are exchanged for the kind of gladness that makes you sing for joy. And what's at the heart of that exchange? Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Do you want to be full of gladness? Even in the face of your own mortality? Do you want to sing for joy in the midst of the affliction and evil of this world? There is nothing in this world that can ever satisfy your soul like that. You're an eternal creature, in a different way that God is eternal because you have a beginning, but you're an eternal creature, and as an eternal creature, Nothing temporal will ever be able to satisfy your soul. No matter what you try to shovel into the middle of the hole in your soul, it will always be too small. Temporal things will never satisfy. You'll have to keep shoveling and shoveling and shoveling. Only something eternal can have the weight of glory to satisfy your eternal soul and God is eternal he is from everlasting to everlasting he's our dwelling place in all generations and because he is eternal so are all of his attributes his steadfast love is eternal it's from everlasting to everlasting it's his never stopping never giving up unbreaking always and forever love And that eternal, steadfast love leads us to eternal life. To life as it was meant to be. That eternal, steadfast love is the only thing that will ever satisfy your soul. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we rest in Thee. And what is that eternal, steadfast love? It's the deep, Deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, one who is timeless. He is from everlasting to everlasting. This timeless one stepped into time and he became dust. Verse 3. And the span of his life was 33 years, full of toil and trouble, verse 10. But unlike you, me, and Moses, he had no iniquities to set before God, verse 8. And yet he was brought to an end by God's anger, verse 7. And he passed away under God's wrath, verse 9. He exchanged his eternal home for affliction and mortality. He exchanged his song of joy and gladness for a life of sighing and dismay. And do you know why? To give you the satisfaction that you've been looking for all your life, to give you the satisfaction of his steadfast love, verse 14. To redeem your affliction and make you glad, verse 15. To reveal his glorious power, verse 16. To give you the favor of the Lord, verse 17. To establish the work of your hands forever, verse 17. You see, the timeless one will rescue you out of time and take you to his eternal home. Do you remember Tolkien's essay on fairy stories? We just can't get enough of stories where people step out of time and escape death and have love without parting and communicate with non-human beings and where good finally triumphs over evil. Keller says that Tolkien essentially says this, that if Jesus Christ was really raised from the dead, then through faith in Him, you will literally have all of these things. Do you know that? you are going to step out of time and escape death and communicate with non-human beings and have love without parting and see good finally triumph over evil. And when that becomes real to your heart, as Keller would say, when that penny drops, then you'll realize the satisfaction that you've been looking for all of your life. You see, everyone is out there Paying bazillions of dollars to watch fiction that makes them think just for a second that that story is true. Engages in the story for just a couple of hours because just the story makes people feel better. Oh, brothers and sisters, you have something so much better than that story. You have the reality, it is coming. You see, satisfaction can only be found in the steadfast love of the timeless One who stepped into time. And so we pray, satisfy us in the morning with Your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, so often we feel like the sea lion with sand blowing in our eyes because we weren't built for this world. Father, would You teach us that the story is true? Would that be real to our hearts right now in this moment? And in that, may we find the satisfaction that we've been looking for all of our lives, in Your steadfast love. Would that be real to us now, I ask. In Jesus' name, Amen.